and turn to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, while you're turning there, I just want to remind you that, remember the Bible, it's, we used to joke all the time, uh, the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. It's in the Bible somewhere. Uh, I'm kind of like Paul this morning, I can't remember where it is, somewhere in there. Uh, well, this Tuesday is uh, Giving Tuesday, and that's when Facebook gives away some money to nonprofits, and so we're going we're gonna to take Facebook's money if they'll give it to us. So if you would like to donate at 7 a.m. Tuesday morning, you have to go to the Facebook page, you have to be a friend, just donate. Uh, they're doing some matching funds. I think the matching funds were gone in like 22 seconds last year. So, I mean, you got to be there at 7 a.m. Uh, online, ready to go. Um, it's the only time you're going to hear me promo Facebook is uh, this once a year time. But that's Tuesday morning, 7 a.m. Uh, Giving Tuesday. I, it was remarkable last year. I think people love the aspect of playing the game of getting up and trying to give money at 7 a.m. Because we raised, I think, something like $60,000 in a couple of hours last year on through Facebook. So... Come, bring it on. We'd love to have it. Uh, all right, let's get to the sermon, the Word of God, which is much better um, than, than that. It's a better word, right? One of the beautiful things about Advent, about Christmas, this time of year, is the whole truth that God left heaven and became a baby put aside deity for human flesh, came and was born so that we could be redeemed, so that the ashes of our lives could be turned into something glorious for his name. And in the book of Matthew, we have what most of us read through very quickly, which is the genealogy. Uh, we usually don't focus on the names of the genealogy, and in the genealogy of Jesus, we have this. It says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Remember last week I told you that Matthew's genealogy, unique from uh, Luke's genealogy, uh, Mark doesn't even have a genealogy, uh, he's a person of action. Every gospel, I believe, was written for a different target audience. Matthew's genealogy is written for uh, those who are of the Jewish faith to see that Jesus is the Messiah. So Matthew's genealogy begins with David and Abraham, father of the faith, greatest king, David and Abraham. So he's not called the son of Joseph, not called the son of God at this point, not called the son of Mary. He's called the son of David, son of Abraham, kind of to emphasize that Jewish connection. goes on and says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram. Uh, we looked at the life of Tamar last week, and the truth that we saw in her life is this. God works in the worst circumstances, and she had some bad circumstances. I mean, she... She, she, was from, she was a Canaanite woman. She wasn't even Jewish. She was Canaanite. She married Judah's oldest son. He dies because he's wicked. Uh, she's given to the second son who dies because he's disobedient. She seduces her father-in-law. 
uh, acting like a prostitute gives birth to twins. It's, it's an incredible, I, I mean, last week somebody went away saying, wow, I, I can't even believe that was in the Bible. Um, but it, it points out the truth of God's word that his plans will not be thwarted. His purposes will be accomplished. And he's willing to use a Canaanite woman who dresses up as a prostitute in order that the line of the tribe of Judah could be born. That Jesus would come from Judah's line. And he's, he works in the worst circumstances to actually transform our characters. To change us and those around us. I'm not going to preach all of last week's sermon, although I thought it was pretty good. Um, but you can uh, go back and look at it. Just a great Bible story of transformation. And then he goes on in Matthew and says this. Ram, the father of Abinadad. Abinadad, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Whose mother was Rahab. It goes on. The second woman listed in this list of genealogies, and we're going to see there are five women total uh, through our series. That is our Advent series, looking at the five women from Matthew's genealogy. The second one is Rahab. Now, by the way, this is the only place that I could find really in the Bible where Rahab is not called the harlot or the prostitute. Every other place you're going to see where Rahab's name is mentioned just about, it's in the context of, you would think her last name is the harlot, um, Rahab the harlot. Get it? Uh, but um, there's a purpose for that. We're going to see it in, in the passages that we, we look at coming up. So now let's go back and look at the story of Rahab. I want to read the passages, look at the story, draw some truths about this incredible life who serves as an example to us. And you would say, can a prostitute serve as an example for us? Oh, it's incredible what we're going to see about God's taking the ashes of our life and making something incredible of them. So back to Joshua chapter 2. In Joshua chapter 2, just to set it up, um, the nation of Israel has been in the desert for, we'll talk to each other, not that many people here today, so let's just talk back and forth, have been in the desert for how long? 40 years they've been in the desert. They've come around to the backside of the Jordan River. They're going to cross over the Jordan, but they haven't yet. And the first city they're going to come to is the powerful city of Jericho. Jericho is, you know, I, I should have put a map up here, but... Um, Jericho is in the southern region of the nation of Israel, just north of the Dead Sea on the Jordan River, not too far over. And so they're going to cross over the Jordan. First city they're going to come to is Jericho. Now, before they ever cross over the Jordan, Joshua, who's now taken over for Moses, uh, son of Nun, says to the spies, um, he sent two spies from Shittim, and he said, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Let me just go ahead and read these first seven verses, and then I'll comment. Going on, it says, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the man 
the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. You get the idea. Joshua sends the two spies. They go into the house of Rahab the prostitute. Um, they're there. The king hears word that the Israelites have come, sent some spies, so he sends some police to go get them. When they get to Rahab's house, she said, yeah, they were here, but they took off. They, they took off before the city gate closed. Um, they headed out for the Jordan. I'm sure if you hurry on, you can get them. They went, it was kind of that, they went that away kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, they were on the other side of the Jordan, the nation of Israel, so it made sense to them. Oh, they're headed back to their people. They're going down to the Jordan. Let's go after them. Now, she had taken the two spies onto her roof, and evidently she also dealt in flax. Um, not unusual, but she had put out some flax, hidden them underneath, got them out and said, hey, they're gone. Now, she hit them. Now, let me just say, these first seven verses are no small consternation for biblical scholars. I mean, they struggle with this. They, I've read so many commentaries that love to whitewash these first seven verses and explain away so many different things. So, for instance, they'll say, well, Rahab wasn't really a prostitute. She was more like an innkeeper. And this house was more like an inn. It was on the, on the, uh, on the side of the... Um, it was on the side of the city walls, so they probably, plus probably at the Brahab's house, they could, it was a good place to get information, so they probably just went and got information. Now, I, I think there's one primary reason where men go to a prostitute's house. I, I, I mean, maybe not, maybe so, maybe no, I'm not sure, but that's where they were. Second problem causing people is Rahab's lying through the whole thing. You know, she lies here and lies there. And people say, well, you know, it's this and that. And Listen, I, I think at times it's just good to take the Bible at its word. You know, let's not try to explain away and not try to make it. One of the great things about the word of God, if you learned anything from the story of Tamar last week, is that the Bible reveals us in all of our flaws and failures. It, it doesn't try to whitewash, as we're going to see in the stories that still come up that we're using for Christmas examples. It doesn't try to whitewash our problems. Also, so the two spies, you know, 40 years in the desert could have been a long time. So they're headed to Rahab's house when they get to the city. I, I, I don't know. Also, don't try to make Rahab, who's always going to be called the prostitute later. You know, some people try to excuse the word, say, well, it didn't really mean prostitute. Well, listen, if it didn't mean prostitute, it probably wouldn't have said it 20 more times in the Bible. You know, it, it would have said something else, Rahab the innkeeper, or Rahab. It, 
again, it doesn't try to whitewash. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, something to this effect. Trying to make the world act in a moral way is actually heresy. In other words, when we put a moral framework over someone who doesn't know the Lord and says they should act like this, Martin Lloyd-Jones says that's a heretical way to think, that really we're going to act in our own sinful nature. Some people a little better than others from our view, but according to the book of Romans, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? So we may look at somebody and say, oh, that Rahab the prostitute, the lying thing. You know, I'm a little, listen, sin is sin. And apart from God, we are all sinners. We need the grace of God. When I was little in grade school, we used to play, I, I, I don't even know how school works anymore. It's so user-friendly and probably don't even play games like we used to, but you know, you'd pick two people, they'd stand on opposite sides, and then they'd start picking teams for dodgeball. I don't even think we play dodgeball anymore. I'm sure that's a terrible thing to throw a ball at someone and knock them out. But we used to play uh, dodgeball. So you'd have two people on opposite sides, captain here, captain there. They'd start picking people to be on their team. I'll take so-and-so, I'll take so-and-so. You know, no captain ever looked at the worst player in the entire grade and said, I'm going to take him or her. I'm going to take them first. I mean, just natural selection is, I'm going to take the best, next best, next best, next best, next best. And you did want to be one of those two people left at the very end. Looking at my I'm going to be the last. It's going to be you or me chosen today. If I'm looking at the whole city of Jericho, Surely there's got to be somebody better than Rahab. But here's one of the truths I think we find in this story is that God uses unlikely people, the people we probably wouldn't choose to do his work. It's one of the great truths of the Bible. If you start to look at some of the mighty men and women of faith, if you look at them before they're the mighty men and women of faith, you would probably say, I don't think I'd chosen him. I'm not sure I'd choose him. I mean, even Samuel went to um, David's father's house and started looking at the sons. And, oh, man, that guy looks good. Oh, that one looks good. That one looks good. And God keeps saying to Samuel, I've rejected him, rejected him, rejected him. I don't look at the things men look at. I look at the heart. And one of the truths I think of Rahab's story is that God is going to use her in an incredible way. But right off the bat, we would say, I'm probably not her. Going on, reading the story. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Zion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She goes up to the guys, 
and basically um, says to them, we've heard. We've heard of you guys. And because of what we've heard, our hearts melted in fear. Well, why did they melt in fear? Because the nation of Israel was so powerful and so strong? No, she's saying, look, we heard how your God dried up the Red Sea and you walked through on dry land. Now, how long ago had this occurred? Just a quick fact. 40 years. 40 years. This, I mean, this is not new news. They had heard about it. They, they'd heard about how they had completely destroyed one of the great powers in that region, the Amorites. And she says, our hearts have been completely melted in fear. And she makes one of the great early confessions of the faith. This Rahab prostitute. Because your Lord is the God in heaven above and on the earth below. Here's, this is a side point just to... When the world looks at the church, do they say, Man, you guys, you guys are great organizers. I love what you do with the place. I love, I love even how you help the poor or how you help the hot. You know, you know what's going to cause people, and those are great things. We do those things, but I believe what's going to make the world look at the church and say, your God is really God, is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. What do we have to offer other than his presence at work in our lives to, to declare to the world when we do work in hospitals and when we do feed the poor, when we do teach reading, when we do anything else, for them to look and say, wow, that, that guy is, he's not that great, but there is something different in him that's they're a different people. Look at them. They love one another. They're not fighting with one another. They're not battling with one. Their God must be God. Listen, do not minimize the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In fact, that's who, that's who we are. We're the people of God by the power of God, by the person of God who indwells us. goes on in Joshua, verses 12 through 21. She says this, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you'll show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, the oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which we let you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. 
If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Okay, you get the picture and I'm going to summarize real quickly. She says to them, when you take the city. Now notice she doesn't say if you take the city. There's not, she knows already more than they know, really. She's saying, when you take the city, spare me and my family. And basically, they go through this oath thing where they say, we will protect you if you tie the scarlet cord, and she's going to let them out of the city by this rope, the scarlet rope. She's going to let them down. She tells them to go to the hill country. By the way, the hill country is the opposite way from the river, Right, So she sent the guys, the soldiers, police guys, toward the river. And she's saying to these guys, go to the hills, hide there three days. When the soldiers come back because they didn't find you at the river, then you can take off on, on home. They make this thing where they say, listen, all your family, if they're in the house, when we destroy the city, whoever's in your house will protect them if you hide the, tie this cord out. But if they come outside the house... All bets are off. Or if you tell the authorities what we've done, all bets are off. They all agree to it, and she ties the scarlet cord to the window. Now, I could preach a whole sermon on the scarlet thread or the scarlet cord. Um, to me, this is a, a direct picture of the blood of Christ that we talked about earlier and sang about. I mean, for me, it's a, it's a picture of the blood over the doorposts at Passover, it's a picture of what God is going to do. He's going to deliver this family from destruction. And again, all to me precursors of what Jesus is going to do when he sheds his blood for us on the cross. The spies go back. <clears throat> There's several chapters in between 2 and 6, as you can guess, 3, 4, and 5. nation of Israel crosses over. They're gonna, the first city they're going to come to is Jericho. Remember what they do at Jericho? They six days march around one time. Seventh day they march around seven times, blow the trumpets, the walls fall down. And the walls. I've only seen the whole Joshua 50 battle of Jericho. Jericho. Um, anyway, going to march around the city. Joshua, before they take the city, here's what Joshua tells the people. He says, the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, and again, it keeps saying this, only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. He's given instructions right off the bat. Joshua's honoring the word. We're going to spare Rahab and her family and the spies. So then they march around the city and the walls go splat. Go down, and Joshua says to the two men who had spied out the land, go into, now she's not even a name, right? Now it's just, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men, again, these are not old men, these are young men. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, 
her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city, everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. So, you get the point. Everything, I mean everything, animals, people. You know, some people struggle with this part of the story of Jericho. That God says, wipe out everyone and everything. But God is clean, cleansing. He's making a way. But he says, we're going to honor our word to Rahab. But he didn't call her Rahab at first. He said, well, go to the prostitute's house. And obviously the young men didn't even try to hide where they'd been. They could have said Rahab, the innkeeper. We stayed at an inn. Really, Joshua, that's where we were. Um, but they don't try to hide where they were. They come out, go get her, bring her out. Everything else is destroyed, the whole city. But she and her family were spared and placed outside the camp. Now, listen, if you stopped at the story right here, you'd have a great story. Right? You'd have a story of deliverance. You'd have a story of a woman who who saw the nation of Israel and protected the nation of Israel and helped them in their destruction of Jericho as they make their way into the land of promise. But here's the great thing and the, the glory of the gospel is that God makes so much more out of our lives than even just the story part. He does incredible things. Here's the, I'm going to give you three points. First is this, Rahab is an example of faith. Rahab is an example of faith. Peter Passell uh, is an author for the New York Times, and he, he wrote an article and says, what does it take to get an obituary in the New York Times? On a daily basis, there are 10 to 15 obituary statements in the New York Times. And he did a study and looked it up and did some research and said, you know, the number one thing that will get you an obituary in the New York Times is to be an actor. If you're an actor or an actress and you die, most likely you'll get an obituary. Next after that is business people and then politicians. And by the way, politicians and clergy are right about the same level. So I could, I could be in the New York Times. Um, but he's saying it's just a handful of people. Out of all the people that die in the New York area, only 10 to 15 a day get in to the New York Times. In the book of Hebrews, we have this incredible list called the honor roll of faith. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You find two women. Here's one of them. By, the walls, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Only two women mentioned in this whole honor roll of faith. Sarah, because she's married to Abraham, it's not really, she's not really mentioned as a person of faith, more she's mentioned as a, Abraham's wife, Sarah. 
and Rahab. Rahab, of all the people in the Old Testament, of all the even Deborah is not mentioned. Barak is mentioned, not Deborah. Of all the women of faith of the Old Testament that we could talk about, Rahab, honor roll of faith. Oh, my lands. This is, to me, it's incredible that God can take the ashes of a prostitute's life and make them into something so glorious that they're mentioned with the very fathers of the faith. Faith changes us. Faith transforms us. Faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But with faith, even the most outside could come into a loving relationship with God. Rahab is also listed as a person of action. As a person of action. So, in the book of James, you'll remember this is uh, one of those passages that causes us, again, no small measure of problems. But James says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You know, he's making the point that what? Faith without works is dead. He's saying there is a natural outworking of faith. And he says, let me give you some examples. And he lists two examples of faith and action. The first is... Abraham gets listed in every list somehow. Uh, but he said, that, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Now, really the aspect that James is probably focusing on is the sacrifice of Isaac. The, the call to, you know, Abraham's done a lot of things of faith. He left his homeland, he came here, he kept, um, he became a father at the age of 100 now, he's been told to sacrifice Isaac. He believes that God can raise Isaac from the dead if he kills him because that's how great God is. He's a man of faith. It's credited to him as righteousness because he takes Isaac up the hill, gets ready to sacrifice him. And then he goes on and says, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Oh, people, this is unbelievable. Two examples. Not only is she in the honor roll of faith, but in the book of James, only Abraham and Rahab are mentioned as examples of those whose faith works itself out in action. And notice that nowhere in this is James trying to dismiss two big things we looked at earlier, the prostitution aspect or the lying aspect. As a matter of fact, he's given a, by faith, she hit the guys and told the others to go in a different direction. And She's a person of action. Here, here's what I would say. Your current obedience, your current outworking of faith in your life is more important than your past failure. Many people look at the way they failed in their lives and that becomes the anchor, so to speak, for their soul. That becomes the anchor for their identity. That's who they are. 
the remarkable thing to me is that though Rahab is called the prostitute every single time, she's also listed as an example of faith and a person who acts through her faith. And I think it keeps saying that because it's saying that's who she was, but that's not who she is. In God's economy, through faith and her obedience, he takes the ashes of her life and makes something glorious. Now, you may be thinking again, okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> it's really good, right? It's really good. But really, what future does this prostitute pagan have in this closed-minded nation of Israel thing? I mean, oh, yeah, she and her family are alive. It's better than dead, right, coming out of Jericho. But what future does she have? Everybody she knows, other than probably her mom and dad and brothers and sisters, her immediate family, everybody else she had anything to do with is dead. They've all been killed. She's been taken, and now she's even outside the camp. Every time the Bible talks about being outside the camp, it's generally not that great. You want to be in the camp, right? You want to be on the in group. But she's placed in the outside the camp group. Probably because she's a pagan and a prostitute. Everything about her is unclean to them. But as we saw in Matthew, she still has a destiny. An incredible destiny. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. She marries this guy named Salmon. Now, Salmon... Uh, Depends on extra biblical literature, says that Salmon was one of the two spies, which may or may not be true. We don't really know. Could have been, maybe not, was one of the two spies who originally. But nonetheless, she marries one of the guys. She becomes a part, not only of Jewish history, because she's going to be the mother of Boaz. Yeah, this is the same guy. The same guy we're going to look at next week. And I don't want to give away too much from next week's sermon because it's great in its own right. But what do you think allowed Boaz to step into a field and to see a Moabite woman gathering some grain in the field and for his heart to go out to this foreigner? Do you think it might be because his own mother was an outsider, was... Who's your mom? Ah, oh, my mom's Rahab the prostitute. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not something you generally... But his heart went out to Ruth. Not only that, but if you look at the genealogy, Rahab is going to be the great-great-grandmother of King David. In the line of the king. And more importantly, in the line of the king of kings and lord of lords. God doesn't just take her, save her life, and then leave her. Because of her faith and her action, she becomes really one of the matriarchs of the faith, this Rahab the prostitute. Listen, I don't know what you've had going on in your life. I don't know where you are, but here's what I want to say. God can do something glorious out of the ashes of your life if you'll give himself give yourself to him 
Charles Spurgeon says this about this um, story. He said, God has a people where we little dream of it, and he has chosen ones among a sort of people whom we dare not hope for. Who would think that grace could grow in the heart of one who is a harlot by name as though her sin was openly known to all? Yet it grew there, like a fair flower blooming upon a dunghill, or a bright star glittering on the brow of night. There her faith grew and brought forth glory to God. Rahab, the prostitute, becomes an example to us of faith, an example to us of one whose faith works itself out in action, and a person of destiny. That's why we can, like the hymn says, we can, we can talk about redemption, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, his person of destiny, his person of faith, forever, forever, forever I am. Lord, we pray today that your faith working itself out through us will be manifest to the world. That like Rahab, who really had for all practical purposes, was a, her job description was not something we would say, oh, you're going to use her. But because of faith, the ashes of her life grew into something glorious. Lord, how much more so are we who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus? We've been called. You've chosen us. You've changed us, and our future is unfolding in a way that reveals the glory of God. May we give ourselves to you afresh and anew. Spirit of God, fill us up to overflowing today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Isn't this a great story? Great truth of the God.